Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Brandy Colbert is the award-winning author of Little and Lion, Point, Finding Yvonne, and the forthcoming, but also here, Revolution of Bertie Randolph. <laughs> Her short fiction and essays have been published in several critically acclaimed anthologies for young people. She's on faculty at Hamline University's MFA program in writing for children and lives in Los Angeles. Uh, Jade Chang is the author of The Wangs vs. the World. The Wangs has been named a New York Times Editor's Choice as well as the best book of the year by BuzzFeed, Elle, and NPR, and was awarded the VCU Cabell First Novelist Prize. So please welcome Brandy Colbert and Jade Chang. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, okay, I don't know what to say at these things still, so <laughs> I'm going to make Jade do all the hard work. Uh, but this is my fourth book, uh, The Revolution of Bertie Randolph. I guess I could tell you if I had any inspiration behind it, but that, would that ruin your questions? I mean, say whatever. You, you go with the flow, Jade. Right now. Yeah, yeah, you go with the flow. Yeah. I don't. That's why we're good <laughs> together. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't. I didn't draw from any personal experience with this, uh, but it is set in Chicago, and so I have a lot of friends here from my past who knew me before I moved to Chicago. I was miserable in Chicago, but I found it extremely um, inspiring, I guess, in a weird way. I love writing about it. I love visiting, but I will never live there again. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to write about this family sort of living in close quarters in Logan Square, which is my favorite neighborhood, uh, but also dealing with addiction, um, which I just think is not really something that society really talks about in a fair, balanced way, and also, especially black families. Um, I mean, I'm sure this will catch up to me soon and someone will complain, but I keep saying, like, you know, my family, I have a huge family on both sides. I have 21 aunts and uncles. I have oh. I know, 60 first cousins, it's weird. Um, but, you know, with, with those odds, someone is dealing with addiction, and every time you hear someone talk about it, it's like, oh, well, so-and-so always has a beer in their hand, or, you know, he's drunk again, and it's like, well, is there something there we need to discuss? But nobody ever wants to discuss it, so I was like, I'm going to write a book where we just talk about it. Um, what else does it have? It has family secrets and first love. Some people are calling it a romance novel. I, I never try to write a romance novel, but... I also don't try not to write romance into it. That's a little something about it. I'm going to read just a little bit from the first chapter, and then I will let Jade get to it. All right, chapter one. A strange woman is smoking on my front stoop. Actually, it's the stoop of my mother's hair salon. We live in the apartment upstairs, but my mom and Ayana make their clients go down the street to smoke. None of them would ever sit right here in front of the door. Maybe she just needs a place to sit. This is Chicago. We're in Logan Square, near the California Blue Line stop. People are walking by constantly. She takes a drag just as she notices me standing a few feet away, watching her. She exhales and smiles and lifts her hand in greeting. I give her a tight smile, this is Chicago, and quickly squeeze past her on the stoop, shutting the door to our stairway firmly behind me. I'm in the kitchen getting a drink of water when I hear footsteps on the stairs and, a few moments later, the front door opening. It's too early for my father to be home. I guess mom needed to run up for something. Dove? I freeze. That's not my mother. How could I have forgotten to lock the front door? 
And then I turn around and see the woman from the stoop standing in the doorway, and I drop my glass. It shatters at my feet. Water splashes over my ankles and the tops of my school loafers. I back up, pressing myself against the kitchen sink. I don't look at it, but I'm very aware that my hand is within reach of the knife block. Oh. She takes in my frightened face, holds up her hands. It's okay. You're Dove, right? I'm Carlene. I stare at her, wondering if my mother would be able to hear me scream downstairs over the music and blow dryers and incessant chatter of the shop. How does this woman know my name? I'm your aunt. I frown, and then my mouth drops open as I remember that my mother has a sister. She's her only sibling, and I haven't seen her in so long I'd forgotten I have an aunt on that side. Mom doesn't talk about her much. Never, really. Aunt Carlene? She smiles, and I wonder if I'll see my mother in it, but I don't. Thick black Marley twists hang past my aunt's shoulders. Her eyes are tired but friendly. Remember me? Um, just barely. Her smile fades a little. Well, it's been a long time. You've grown so much, she says almost wondrously, her eyes roaming over me as if she's trying to match the dove she used to know with the one standing in front of her. I want to ask her exactly how long it's been, but something in her eyes tells me not to. Instead, I say, I'm 16. I only have two more days left of sophomore year. My hands are still clenched into fists, even though I'm pretty sure she is who she says she is. I know. She takes a couple of steps forward, so she's standing fully in the kitchen. The cigarette smoke clings to her clothes or her fingers, or maybe both, and it's not a good smell, but I try to pretend like it doesn't bother me. 17 next February, right? Right. I smile back at her, but I'm surprised she remembers. I didn't think she knew any more about me than I know about her, which is pretty much nothing. Are you visiting for a while? I am. She pauses, then says, I don't know how long, but I'm hoping your mother will let me work in the salon while I'm here. You know how to do hair? Girl, who do you think taught your mama? <laughs> Just then, I hear feet on the stairs again, thundering up. The front door bursts open, and then my mother's voice. Bertie? Bertie, my aunt echoes. We're in the kitchen, I call back. Then to Aunt Carlene, that's her nickname for me. You know, a play on the whole dove thing. Mom stops abruptly in the doorway. What's wrong, I ask, staring at the worry lines etched into her forehead. Nothing. She lets out a long breath as she looks back and forth between us. I was just... It's been a while since you've seen Carlene, so I wanted to make sure everything is okay. Then she spies the broken glass in front of my feet. What happened? I wasn't expecting anyone to come in, and I got freaked out. Mom presses her lips together as she heads across the room to grab the broom and dustpan. I wanted to let you know before you got home, but Carlene showed up unannounced in the middle of an appointment. I couldn't get away. It's a broken glass, Aunt Carlene says, raising an eyebrow. Nobody died. She tries to take the broom from my mother, but Mom shakes her head and motions for me to get out of the way as she sweeps up the wet shards. I don't think they've seen each other in years either, but they don't look so happy to be reunited. They're not close. Maybe my aunt doesn't know her well enough to understand how much Mom values planning and order. Don't walk barefoot in here for a while, my mother says, after crouching to make sure she's gotten every piece that she can see. She tosses the broken glass into the trash can and leans the broom against the wall. She looks at Aunt Carlene. I also wanted to make sure you're settling in okay. Should I have Raymond stop anywhere on the way home? I'm settling in just fine. I don't need anything, Aunt Carlene says. I'm actually going to lie down for a while. I, have a lo I had a long day on the train. My mother's lips are still pursed, but some of the tension leaves her body. We'll wake you for dinner. Wake me up in time to help, my aunt says over her shoulder. I get a fresh glass from the cupboard and pour more water, then sit down at the kitchen table. Once the door to Mimi's room clicks closed, Mom joins me. She sighs, running a hand over her twist out. I didn't know she was coming. Yeah, I kind of gathered that. I watch her. Are you okay? Oh, I'm fine, Bertie. Just tired. She pats my hand. You okay with her staying here for a while? Sure. I shrug. I don't remember her at all, but she seems okay. And Mimi's not coming home this summer, right? 
Right. Okay. Good. Mom smiles. She's going to work in the shop? We could use another braider, but she has to be licensed, and that takes a lot of hours. I don't know if she'll be here that long. She said she taught you everything you know about hair. Mom's face drops so fast it makes me laugh. Oh, she did? We'll see how much she remembers after. What? I prompt her. She shakes her head. Nothing. She's just been out of the game for a while. Mom? Hmm? Are you okay with her being here? Carlina's family, she says in a voice that doesn't match her face. Of course I am. Brandy. Jade. Congratulations. <laughs> it's your fourth book. Uh, thank you. Is that nuts? Yeah. I don't know. Who's writing these? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> as someone who has only written one book, I feel like I have a lot of questions one about One great this. book. <laughs> but still. But I, you know what I, I, what I am the most curious about, actually, is, okay, so now that you have gone through that process four times, at mm -hmm. least, of kind of like having an idea bubble up in your brain mm -hmm. and thinking okay this is it I'm going to like go all in on this has it been different every time has it felt the same every time like is there a moment where you're like oh yeah that's how I know like this is worth pursuing there is but I feel like my writing process is like so esoteric it's so hard for me to say what do you mean just kind of like I don't really I don't know there's a lot of writers here I don't know mm -hmm. if anyone else feels like this when you write, do you just kind of black out? Does anyone ever feel that way? <laughs> okay, no, I wish like, I felt that you way. You don't feel that way? <laughs> so, like, so, I'll look back and so be much like, easier. who wrote that? Like, really? Yeah. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Um, mm. I don't know. For me, usually, I'm not big on plot. Um, I would write mm -hmm. books without any plot if I could get away with it. And if you all would still buy them. Um, so it usually starts with a character. But with this one, I don't know. It's weird. It started with me wanting to talk about addiction, but then I'm okay. not, like, an issues writer. Right. So, like, right. for me, it's, like, if I'm writing about an issue, it's going to be, mm -hmm. like, really gray area. Like, yeah. there's no right answer. Well, so, but what was the moment of, like, because I'm sure you have other ideas kind yeah. of come to mind, and then you discard them, or you pursue them a little bit, and kind of, yeah. you know, feel like they're not necessarily worth it. So, it's probably when the right character comes into the story, and in this one, I think it was the aunt, when I realized, oh. like, what was going on there, yeah. who has the addiction problem, Yeah, you know? yeah. like, I think that's when it started to, like, click with me. Yeah, and, you know, hearing you read this, the introduction out loud, really kind of reminded me of how good that setup is, because we get to see kind of... Every, like, all of these little tensions, like, all play out in these really delicious ways, like, as the book unfolds. And, uh, I don't know, I'm interested in, okay, so you don't plot. No. <laughs> no, not until I'm forced, yes, by an editor. Okay. <laughs> or my agent, really. Okay. So then is it all sort of in the, like, character conflict then? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like, what is this character going through? I will mm -hmm. say, like, most of my books are coming of age, so, yeah. you know, it's going to be sort of in that vein. Uh -huh. um, so it's, like, kind of this thing that's going to propel the character into sort of a new part of their life. Okay. But I guess I look at them as sort of slice of life. Like, what are the issues you're going with at this moment? Like, what I was going through at 16 mm -hmm. was often, like different from what I was going through like at 16 and a half you know yeah. it's, it's so I really like honing in yeah. on those specific moments and seeing uh -huh. like what issues are plaguing this person right then interesting well I feel like the other thing one of the other things that I found really interesting about this is the two main characters in um Dove or Birdie yeah if you want to call her by that. her nickname yeah. um <laughs> in Birdie's life are 
Would you want to tell us a little bit about the boy that she likes? Yeah. Her boyfriend. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. They're like. <laughs> it's a requited love. <laughs> yes. At yes. one point, like not to uh-huh. get too far into like the editing process, which nobody really wants to hear about. But um, my editor was like, just, they should just be together. Like he's, Wait, they he's weren't just together? Boyfriend. At one point? They like, no, they were. But she was like, let's just declare it on there. Like they were like being very like wishy-washy teenagers uh, about it. Just like, okay. we're like a thing, but we're not a thing. Or uh-huh. we're also like 40 year olds, I think also. <laughs> um, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in my experience. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so she was like, just have them. So yes, he is mm-hmm. her boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. Not a secret. Mm-hmm. And um, Booker is, Booker is like a complicated guy. He's like, a big black dude, um, like, used to play football, like, definitely, like, a kind of guy you would look at and judge immediately, mm-hmm. one way or the other, probably assume some things about him. Um, he's been in some trouble with the law. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. in juvie for a while. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of family stuff. His mom got sick and passed away, and so he's been dealing with a lot of stuff, but he's, like, mm-hmm. a, a good, sweet guy. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to finally give one of my... <laughs> protagonist like well, a nice like some, guy some <laughs> like, no cheating like everybody's happy yeah we write the things that we want into being <laughs> um but yeah I found it really interesting that the two kind of new people in Birdie's life right her aunt who's dealing with this addiction mm-hmm. problem that she's essentially overcome and she's kind mm-hmm. of I actually realize I don't have a lot of good language on talk on how mm-hmm. to talk about addiction mm-hmm. Um, but I get, so if I'm kind of mischaracterizing, let me know, but essentially she's, she's been in recovery, she's overcome it. And then, but of course she still, you know, goes to meetings and kind of struggles with things. Uh, and then you have her boyfriend who's also really, um, dealing with this past and they're both people who really need second chances. Yes. And she's the one who kind of gives them these second chances. And I always wonder, like... Reading it and seeing that, is that just mm-hmm. very English majory of me? Or is it something that you, like, thought about a lot? Yeah, you well, know? it's funny, again, because it's, like, something I didn't realize until after. Okay. And I read it, and it was, like, in copy edits. And I was like, wait, yeah. there's a theme here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know uh-huh. what helps me figure out my books a lot is Alana K. Arnold, Prince Honor Award-winning Alana K. Arnold sitting in the front row. But nice. um, we teach together at Hamlin, oh. and we talk a lot um, mm-hmm. about our work and our processes. And so, like... Uh-huh we'll do a presentation or something and then I'll text her like a week later and be like, oh my God, I just realized this thing we were talking yeah. about. I did that in my book. And right. I had no idea at the time. So I don't know if it's it's not quite intentional. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess if it just makes sense to my character, then it all sort of comes together. Yeah. Is that... Yeah. No, it <laughs> okay. makes sense. But the other thing that I thought was interesting about that is that it kind of turns out that like everyone, what I enjoyed the most about this book was that I think this actually is the case with almost all fiction is that the point of reading these made-up stories about make-believe people (laughs) is that we kind of, when you see these people change slowly, it kind of helps you, like, understand human nature a little Mm -hmm. bit more, right? And kind of helps you understand, like, the ways that you relate to the world. And I feel like with all of these people, they really, with all of these characters, they really changed in ways that I found really satisfying that I didn't expect and that all involved Birdie kind of, like, being willing to see them a little differently. Yeah. And I... That's interesting. I just really enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah, I think another thing, thinking mm-hmm. about the family part, 
is that, you know, my mom has 12 siblings, and so I'll hear her talk about, I know, Wait, again. Stop. Yes. <laughs> yes. My mom has 12 brothers wow. and sisters. My dad has nine. All right. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a big family. So there's always some uh-huh. drama going on. Like yeah. Constantly. There's yeah. always something. If I'm not telling my mom about something I saw on Facebook, she's uh-huh. telling me about a phone call she had. You know, it's constant. Um, but, like, I'll hear her talk about her siblings or, you know, mm-hmm. our other family members. And it's sort of like sometimes she can't get out of, like, how she saw them 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, you know what I mean? And I didn't, yeah, yeah. again, not intentional, but just thinking yeah. about it, it's like she is a forgiving person. Uh-huh. She doesn't necessarily have that history with right. people yet because she's 16. So I think uh-huh. that's also, like, a really nice space to be in. Right. Do you feel like knowing that makes you do things differently in your own life? Hmm. No. you're still just as unforgiving as you would be if you weren't a novelist at all (laughs) right right no I mean I think to write you know novels Mm -hmm. in the first place and spend time with these made up people as we do I think you have to have a certain level of empathy right um and I was listening I listened to well I I edit I edit a lot of articles about actors and you Mm -hmm. know I listen to a lot of podcasts with actors Mm -hmm. and um you know I hear them talk about like how they relate to their characters. And so mm-hmm. sometimes they're playing like a really horrible character, but they're like, you know, you still have to have some respect or some empathy for this person you're playing. Yeah. Other, you, you can't play the character otherwise. Right. And I feel that way about writing. Yeah. Even like the worst totally people in my books. I'm like, I still kind of love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise there's not like, I feel like the reader is not going to kind of latch on in any way if mm-hmm. you don't actually love right. the character. It's like starting out with a judgment that you're then putting on the page. Right. And, other people are going to pick up on that, I think. Yeah. So. Was it hard to find love for any of these guys? No. These are probably, like... Yeah. I mean, my favorite characters I've written. I love really? every single person That's in this amazing. book. Yeah. Oh. I even had to cut someone, and I was, they were killed. It was fine. Them. But, yeah, I did have to cut them out. But then I expanded another one and loved him, too. And Yeah. Aw. Wait, who got, who got expanded? There was a friend um, that got cut. Mm-hmm. She was not doing anything. So then the ex-boyfriend got bumped up. And oh. he got a bigger oh. role. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. You know, I find that so interesting. Okay, I know that in some ways, conversations about editing are not that exciting unless you've been edited a lot. So, and I know a lot of the people in here are writers. So, I will say that I really find that um, often the last minute character change is mm. the best thing. Right. Right? Like, like I love that. Yeah. that. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have, did you kill any characters? In I didn't Wayne's? kill any characters, but I had a big character expansion. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, um, it wasn't even that there was like so much extra material for, it was the younger sister in my book, in case anyone's read it. Um, it wasn't so much that there was so much extra material about her. It was more that I really worked to make her, to make the reader more empathetic towards her. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I, I think that it is that is often the thing that changes. Well, and that's what it sounds yeah. like I did with that character totally. too. He was just like kind of a dick, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Can we, like, give him some depth. Like, yeah, and yeah. we get so much more by mm-hmm. like kind of feeling for yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing that I really enjoyed in this book. Um, okay, so you have two moments. One where, uh, one where Birdie just kind of casually talks about kind of what it literally physically feels like to get braids Mm. and then another moment where uh she where her aunt notices that her doctor or where she tells her aunt that her doctor was black Mm -hmm. and I feel like you know we talk so much about representation and how important it is to have diverse voices etc and I think that 
like one of the most important things is not writing about issues, right? It's not writing about like black women in medicine or, <laughs> right. you know, or issues of black hair, which have been obviously written about a ton. And it's not that it's not important to write about that, but I think it is also so important to have these like everyday details. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. To me, that's what really brings you into like the culture, the mm-hmm. community of somebody that you don't know. Yeah something about um even things like I remember in my first book I mentioned like the mom wearing like a headscarf to sleep Mm -hmm. and I think it was my mom who was like oh my god that was such a great detail and it's like yeah that is something that is pretty particular to the black community or people with you know extra curly hair um Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah I don't know it seems like that I was talking to um another author Renee Watson recently and she grew up in Portland and now she lives in um, Harlem and we were talking you know I grew up in Missouri and now I live out mm-hmm. here and so we have all these sort of different experiences on different sides of the country but she yeah. was like it's so interesting she's like you know when I read your work I see like these mm-hmm. things and it's like we're all so different but like there's still these things that make us black like mm-hmm. that we only know yeah. like no matter what you can come you grew up at a different time you came mm-hmm. from a different region like all this stuff but it is still so recognizable mm-hmm. well Yes, and also, I think the reason why the doctor part really stood out to me is because I, you know, I think just growing up as a person of color in America, you notice when someone who looks like you is doing Mm -hmm. anything. Like, I, I would say at age 16, could have told you every single, like, half Asian, because there were no full Asian actors on TV, like, I could have told you anybody in any show, even if I didn't watch the show, I still, like, knew they were there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that thing, especially growing up mm-hmm. when we did like eighties, night like it's yeah. it was so so fewer choices than yeah. today. And yeah, I remember knowing like or when a commercial came on with like a black person, like, oh, yeah. calling to my mom, Mom, there's a black girl on TV. Like <laughs> it was literally what yeah. it was like in the eighties in Missouri, like growing yeah. up and just like not seeing yourself. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, like I kinda wanted that moment where she comes in and she's like, Oh, my doctor is black mm-hmm. and then she's like, Oh, I was surprised, but like my dad's a black doctor too but it's still surprising to see yeah Yeah. it's like one of those things you notice like I don't know it's just not that common I've never had a black doctor so I mean I could probably change that yes if anybody knows give me some recommendations (laughs) after any gynecologist (laughs) recommendations out there let us know (laughs) so has the way that you have approached um kind of conversation about race or anything like that changed over the course of the four books yeah yeah I mean the world has kind of changed like even in these three or four years I feel like the world has changed a little bit well it's funny I was hanging out with I'm sorry I'm like calling everybody out all the time at these things sorry I was talking to my friend Shannon a few weeks ago and we were talking about politics and she was like you never used to talk about politics and I was like what are you talking about and Uh I was like I didn't even remember but I then I thought about it and I was like yeah I used to just be like nope not doing it shutting down I think part of that was because I grew up in such a conservative mm-hmm. area, you know, it's Missouri. We all know what Missouri's up to. It's typically nothing good. And um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I can say that I'm from there. But um, so I think it's like from growing up in a place like mm-hmm. that where you knew a lot of times if you were on more of a liberal side of things. Right. You weren't really, yeah, it was, it was <laughs> Keep quiet. quite contentious. It was yeah. easier to stay quiet. Plus there was mm-hmm. never usually anyone who looked like me mm-hmm. and who had the same experiences um, that was around. So there was nobody to back me up. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I've definitely gotten much more comfortable just talking about all of it in the last few years, writing about it. Mm-hmm. My first book is probably the one that least explores race, yeah. um, but it still mentions a few things in there. Yeah. Um, but I've gotten more comfortable probably because I've also gotten older. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to put books out 
so that, you know, I didn't have these kinds of books when I was a kid. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to put them out, not, again, with a message of what to do and what's right or wrong, mm-hmm. but just that they have this representation in front of them and they mm-hmm. know, like, these, they have the language for things now yeah. that I didn't have. Yeah, I yeah. want to put that in books so people who are growing up similar to how I grew up, like, yeah. no, these feelings are normal and you totally. can say this stuff and that's not okay that that person said that to you. And yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, wait, so tell us a little bit about, like, Okay, I feel like often in YA, in the world of YA literature, we have a lot of conversations with adults, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm curious, yeah. like, have you gotten responses from teenagers that are, are like, unexpected for you, or... Yeah, I I'm mean... I'm just curious about some of your, like, standout Yeah, it's... I don't know, I don't spend a lot of time with teenagers you know I don't mm-hmm. have kids and yeah um I don't know so most of the teens I see are on television um <laughs> it's very realistic because they're usually like 26 playing right. like a exactly. 14 year old and gorgeous fine. yeah uh-huh. yeah exactly no acne anywhere right. um but yeah I've been doing you know more school visits um mm-hmm. things like that and I had this really great school visit in East Palo Alto um, mm-hmm. when we were up there in January. Uh, I had a great school visit there, and so it was a charter school, and so there were some day students. Mo- it was mostly day students and then some kids who were boarders also. Okay. And um, one of the kids, they had read Little and Lion, and one of the kids just, like, raised his hand, and he was like, I just want to know how you got this so right. And I was like, oh, my God, well, my job here is done. You know, <laughs> like a mic totally. drop moment. Because it's just yeah. like, I haven't, you know, I'm 40. I've not been a teenager mm-hmm. in a very long time. I don't actually know how this feels. But he was like, you just, he, like, almost couldn't express himself. He's like, you just got it so right. I know. And I was, like, trying not to melt into yeah, a complete yeah. puddle. Um, but it's really nice. I think they're really forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot of reviews that say like well it was a little too juvenile for me and it's like right. well you're a 40 year old woman you know right. Right. yeah you wouldn't react like that <laughs> yeah but how would you have reacted when you're 14 15 right. 16 um so it's really nice to hear them say that you get it right and that you know you sort of understand mm-hmm. that storm of emotions that mm-hmm. they're like going through and yeah that's a lot I don't miss me I liked being a yeah. teenager but I don't miss it yeah I mean, that, yes, just that, like, uncontrollable (laughs) kind of interior life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're funny, though. They will, like, ask you anything. Like, Mm -hmm. how much, I mean, you all know who, how much money do you make? Like, my favorite was one kid at another Uh school visit was like, are you famous? And I was like. I mean, I've been wondering the same thing. Yeah, right? I was like, had you heard of me before today? And he was like, no. And I was like, there's your answer. Next question. (laughs) That's a good answer, but I would still say you're famous. It yeah. Has. Oh, thank yeah. you. In your mind. <laughs> um, wait, so when did you start teaching? Um, last last summer. summer. Thank you. I know okay. my brain has shut off. Um, July 2018. Yes. And how does that affect your writing? <laughs> it's hard sometimes to juggle. Yeah. Um, but it's also been... As hard as it is, it's so rewarding mm-hmm. um, because we, it's a low residency. For anyone who doesn't know, I teach in a low residency MFA program at Hamlin University. It's in mm-hmm. St. Paul. And um, so we go out there twice a year, typically in January and in July for 10 days. And that's you're just so like, fun. it's like summer camp. It is. That's, that's what they amazing. told me before I started. And I was yeah. like, I never went to camp. I don't know. Uh-huh. Like, what, what is that like? Right, and right. It is. It's incredible. But it's just like an immersion of 10 mm-hmm. days of just talking about craft and books. And it is like, 
you're so exhausted. You know, you're on for, like, right. me, like, hiding oh, in yeah. my apartment all the time, like, never seeing anyone. And then, like, being in front, like, on for 12 mm-hmm. hours a day, it's, like, a huge change. You're exhausted. I remember, like, being, like, I want to die after, like, my third day because it was just so hard. Right. But it's so rewarding. You learn so much from your fellow instructors you mm-hmm. know and from the students too um but I has it changed your has it changed my approach at all or anything I think it helps me look at my own writing like more analytically almost okay if that makes sense uh-huh, uh-huh I don't know I'm looking at aspects of craft that I was like I know I did that I don't know how I did it now I'm sort of realizing how I do stuff oh, because I have to sometimes explain yeah, how yeah. I did stuff yeah. <laughs> and um or tell students this is what you need to do, right? And this is why, or not, right. you know, not tell them what to do, but here's how you may want to approach this. Mm-hmm. Here's some questions about this to get you to where you need to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's just looking at it in a way that I had never looked because I don't have an MFA. You know, I'm yeah. self-taught, so it helps me look at things in a different way. I think, and to be able to articulate it better, which is nice. nice. <laughs> um, well, hopefully, you guys will also have some questions that help Randy look at her <laughs> life in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, does anybody, anyone have any pressing inquiries? <laughs> Zan Romanoff, First hand up. YA yes. author in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting on oh, no. You could have texted me this. <laughs> no. Uh, Okay, because I completely forgot about this. So if you've heard me like not mention this, it's not on purpose. I talk about housewives constantly. I love it. It's one of my favorite things in life. It's on all the time at my house. Um, yeah, so they're uh, in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I really hope not, nobody here is related to them or knows them. But um, there's, uh, well, they're actresses. It's fine. They've been out in the world since the 70s. It's public figures um but there is this pair of sisters who just have a really really contentious relationship and um one of them has struggles Mm -hmm. with addiction and has for a long time and you see some of this really uncomfortable stuff on the show it is really just hard to watch like I've had to like almost turn it off sometimes I'm just like this is so personal and it's like so public um so yeah it was the Richard sisters relationship was part of what inspired like the sister relationship um yeah if anybody wants to go watch that, just watch like seasons like one through five of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, but I think they really showed sort of the ugly parts of it, mm-hmm. um, which kind of inspired me to just be like, okay, you know, it's again coming from a family that sort of glosses over everything and is like, it's fine, it's fine. Um, I kind of wanted to show like, no, these people are saying it's not fine. They don't actually really like each other that much, and they have like a long history of like uncomfortableness. <laughs> Thank you. That is amazing. Love when I get to talk about housewives. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. Me too. <laughs> and also, isn't that kind of a like a defense for those kinds of reality shows? Yeah. That it like shows us. Yeah. It does sometimes so. show us actual reality. I think so. We, yeah, it may be like them in a specific place talking mm-hmm. about it at a specific time. But sure. It's like this some of the stuff you could not make up. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like those are real relationships that are and, yeah. very messy. Yes. And Extremely. terrible. Awful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> no else? Robin. Hi, Robin. Um, you have really beautiful book covers. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about the Agreed. Covers? Yeah. I love this um, cover. Thank you for that question. So for anyone who does not know, uh, most authors do not get any say in their book covers. So I am very lucky. I have loved every book cover I've had. Um, this one... 
I loved, uh, I think, they're not up here, but. Um, they should be. Well, they're, 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 they're back there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Amina. Look at you, always working. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you can just barely see, but if you have a copy of it, um, Finding Yvonne was my novel that came out last year, and that's the first one they hired the illustrator for, and then she went back and redid Little and Lion for the paperback, and so they're sort of, mm. you know, you can tell. They're all my books. Cute, I like they're related. So I loved those, and I was like, after Finding Yvonne, I was like, no way am I going to, like, get a better cover than that, and then this dropped in my inbox and I screamed, like, <laughs> like screamed at my desk. Um, I think it's so beautiful. I think um, it's two black women working on them. Uh, so it's been like an in-house cover designer at Little Brown and then a black woman illustrator artist named Erin um, Robinson. And I think they just really get it, you know, like when um, they were asking about like her hair, you know, they were like, okay, goddess braids, like which ones, like, can you send us like a picture, you know, and then like just for her to just, it's just so beautiful. And mm -hmm. the name necklace is sort of like, you know, a tradition in the black community. Mm -hmm. And that was on the cover of Finding Yvonne. Oh. So I think it's just like, they bring a little extra, like something to it that mm -hmm. maybe another team wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Um, but I feel super fortunate to have these and to have books that, again, I didn't see when I was a kid, you know, um, never would I have seen a book cover like this. So mm -hmm. it means a lot to have that out there. Yeah. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> yes. Hi. Yeah, um, I thought it was important to, ex the question was, um, why did I feel it was important to explore addiction in a black family, particularly? I just think for, like, black people, there's a lot we don't talk about, right? Because it feels like, I mean, you know, pretty much the worst thing that could ever happen has happened, and um, it's been, you know, hundreds of years trying to get over that, and it's like, basically, the feeling, in my family at least, is like, we're strong people. Like, we've already been through the worst. Just suck it up. Like, anything bad that happens is kind of just like, suck it up. Um, or like, that's not a problem that we pay that much attention to. Um, and so growing up feeling like I couldn't talk about these things was really upsetting to me as someone who's like, really honest and really likes to dig down. And, you know, I, if you know me, I don't like small talk. I'm just like, immediately like, okay, what's your darkest secret? You know, like, <laughs> oh, that's just like how I, I love to, dig into issues and really talk about them. Um, so for me, it was a, kind of therapeutic for me, not from, I'm not writing from a personal point of view with this, but just it was important for me to sort of discuss it, to put that out there for anyone who might be feeling like it's not normal or this doesn't happen in black families. I think it's just really important to have examples of like, this is happening and it's normal. And like, this is how this family and this girl got through it um, particularly. Yeah, thank you. Hi, Cherie. <laughs> so you write contemporary. Mm -hmm. um, you're saying you wrote about addiction, but not from personal experience. Mm -hmm. What research did you need to do for this book? Mm, well, hundreds of thousands of hours of Real Housewives. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but that's a good question. I feel like the only book I've written so far that I did really targeted research on was Little and Lion, just because I didn't know enough about like the mechanics of like the mental illness that I was exploring. But most of the time, I really try to write about things that I've already, that are already sort of at the back of my mind that I've already read a lot about or watched a lot of, you know, documentaries or, or talked to people a lot about. I have a lot of friends in my life whose families have dealt with addiction. So I think 
that was always sort of at the back of my head too, like sort of their examples and their experiences. Um, so it's, again, it's not based on even, it's not based on any of those people or anything in particular. But um, yeah, I think for me, it has to be this thing that's sort of like digging at the back of my brain for like months and months. And I'm finally like, well, I just need to write about it, you know? Um, so it's something that I've been interested in a while and been doing sort of the research, not in a targeted way, just sort of like, yeah. Not purposely. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yes. Hi. My fifth book is out in March. <laughs> so do not get much of a break. Um, that's my first middle grade novel. So I'm really excited. That's for younger readers. Um, it is called The Only Black Girls in Town. Inspired clearly by my 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 upbringing, um, and it's set in a fictional town um, in the central coast of California, and I'm really excited about it. It's about two 12-year-old girls. Uh, basically, it's what happens if you're the only black girl in town your age, and then another one moves in across the street. <laughs> the cover did just come out for that. Yeah, thank you. I love it too. <laughs> My sixth book is out July 7th, so <laughs> if you haven't seen me this year, that's why I have two books coming out oh next year. I don't know how that happened. Um, that's a YA book called The Voting Booth, um, so that'll be out in July. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Okay. Calm down, Keep it going. <laughs> I know. It's a lot. Anyone else? Hi, Shannon. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's so funny. Um, I don't have any sisters. My mom once asked me, do you wish you had sisters? And I was like, well, that's not up to me. <laughs> so, like, you didn't do the work to make that happen. Yeah. But I, <laughs> but I have four brothers, right? So I have siblings. Um, but I don't know what it's like to have a sister, but I find, you know, people who have sisters, I find, you know, you have a sister and I really, enjoy talking to people who have sisters. It's just such a different dynamic. I don't I think I would have been bad at having a sister, to be honest. Like I love my female friends and female friendships mm -hmm. so much, but I think I would have been a monster to a sister, honestly. Well, but do you feel like those sort of the kind of stereotypical sister relationship things, do you feel like they don't come up in sister brother relationships? They do. It's just that I don't know, like, my brothers don't talk, you know, so they're just, like, not in touch with their emotions. Well, okay. I have three very younger brothers from my dad's uh, second marriage, so mm -hmm. they're, like, in their mid-20s. They're just, like, mm -hmm. a different, you know, they're just very young, um, and I didn't really grow up with them. My mm -hmm. older brother is six years older than me. Mm -hmm. um, we're very, very different people. Um, he's just always sort of been, like, an old man, like, when he turned, when he, six years older than me, so when he turned 40 yeah. six years ago, I was, like, um you know, happy birthday, like, how does it feel? And he was like, I felt this age since I was eight. And I was like, all right, well, cool. <laughs> Great, happy birthday. Um, yeah, so, but I feel like all sibling relationships are fraught. Um, mm -hmm. But with those relationships, sorry, this is a really long answer to a simple question. Um, I don't know, I really wanted to, I hear my mom talk about her sisters a lot too, and she has such different relationships with each of them. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to kind of explore that and also have this older sister who's supportive, um, but is also like, I'm watching you, <laughs> which, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I would want someone to watch out for me, um, too. And then having the moms be like, they've just always had a fraught relationship because 
her sister's been dealing with addiction since they were teenagers. Um, so I really just kind of wanted to juxtapose those against each other. But also, like, it's not like Mimi's the older sister who's just like, anything goes. Like, she's still watching her. And it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a mom, you know, yeah. relationship But sometimes. so I think seeing the other sister relationship also makes the, you know, in the relationship between her mom and her aunt, the fact that the trust between them has eroded so much, and mm-hmm. that really feels like such a hallmark of kind of when, when there is one person in a relationship dealing with addiction, mm-hmm. it seems like that is a thing that you can kind of never get back. Mm-hmm. And um, But Bertie and Mimi, like, no matter what happens, like, they yeah. have that. And I think sort of even them seeing yeah. the way it's played out with their mom and mm-hmm. Aunt Carlene, they're sort of like, well, you know... Let's avoid. I don't think they think it consciously <laughs> like that, but I mean, yeah, there's yeah. a line I think where I was just reading this mm-hmm. the other day, and she said, um, mm-hmm. "You know, Mimi's always been the person closest to me. Mm-hmm. It's always been easier to work with her than against mm-hmm. her." Mm-hmm. Sort of mm-hmm. like, their, you know, like mm-hmm. her idea of their relationship. So yeah. I wouldn't say my brother and I have that. Like, okay. it's not easier to work with him. <laughs> it's it's never, to never sit been. side by side silently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just argue just constantly. <laughs> Seven hours. You know, you said you didn't draw on any personal experience with addiction, but what personal experiences do you feel like you did draw on to kind of make those Mm. emotions really, like, ring Mm -hmm. true? I think just family, just seeing all those different relationships um, Mm -hmm. and seeing how that can change, sort of. That's really the only thing I sort of really relate to her with is, like, not not that family, but just Uh having, like, sort of this close family with a lot of things going on right. sort of and then um you know relating to her as a black girl for sure a black mm-hmm. you know I was a black girl relating to her that way I think yeah because it all comes back to the character for me so if the character yeah. isn't like strong if they don't feel like a real person right I can't find my way in there yeah not yeah. gonna leave us <laughs> okay you know what your endings are gonna be uh, oh my god do I know what my endings are gonna be I never know what my endings are gonna be Right. Probably, like, I mean, with this one, I sort of knew what the ending would be, like, the the climax, I guess, sort of, is what I knew. But, no, I have a lot of trouble with my endings. I guess a lot of times they don't stay from when I first turn it in. Like, my editor's just always, like, kind of like, no. (laughs) I just want them to be, like, more open-ended, but, you know, Mm. you're writing about teens and four teens, and so... I, again, don't think everything should be wrapped up in a bow. Like, I refuse to do that. But they do typically want, like, a sense of hope at the end. And I'm okay with that, too. You know? <laughs> with giving people some hope in the like world. It's fine, I guess. Yeah. It's fine. Um, yeah. So my endings are just kind of crapshoot, honestly. Um, I th- think this one was the most, like, solidly where I felt like I knew how it was going to end. And it was fun to write, too. It wasn't painful. Like, it was. <laughs> I feel like a question about endings is an excellent question to end on. Thank you for helping us wrap it up in a bow. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.